everyone, and welcome to the Library Marketing for Library Marketers podcast. Thanks for returning to listen today, and welcome to you if this is your first episode. I'm your host, Katie Rothley. I'm a fellow library marketer. I'm also a librarian and artist, and I love books just like you. This podcast is for library marketers, obviously, (laughs) Uh, and I hold informer conversations with other library marketers, but also with some experts in the marketing field outside of libraries thrown in the mix. Also, I want to encourage you, uh, please feel free to send me any questions, comments, or ideas for future topics, if there's something going on in at work for you that um, you'd like to hear about, maybe for a future podcast episode, feel free to send me an email at ro, T is in Tom, H, L is in Larry, E is in Elephant, Y, K is in Kite, at gmail.com. All right, let's get started. Hello. Sarah, can you hear me okay? I can. Can you hear me? Perfect. <laughs> Look at you with your pro pro podcasting stuff. That's impressive. When I um, bought my house this summer, I had a little money left over and I had been thinking about starting a podcast for a little bit. So I purchased this get up. Nice. (laughs) Yeah. And then these nice headphones. But um, Honestly, until I figure out this sound, um, actually, it sounds a little bit better now. Um, but when I did my when I used my phone at the Library Marketing and Communications Conference, it actually sounded better. No way! <laughs> yeah, so I have to figure out <laughs> how to how to do the sound mixing or whatever it's called. But sure. Um, I don't have time for that, so. Yeah, I get that. I'm impressed that you have time for a podcast, but your getup looks like exactly what we have in our podcasting station in our um, Maker Lab type place, so that's pretty cool. All right, because you're super pro. Well, I don't (laughs) have the, I don't have the, um, the sound buffer thingies. I don't have that, but uh, I am in this room by myself, well. I have a cat. He snuck in and he's in the closet. I don't know if he'll join us. <laughs> he'll make an appearance point. like yeah. uh, one of your previous ones I listened to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was um, cute. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so we can get started. Uh, welcome to the Library Marketing for Library Marketers podcast. I'm really grateful and appreciative of your time and that you're uh, participating. So I'm really happy to have you on as a guest. Thanks. It's truly a joy to be part of this. Well, for anybody um, who doesn't know you, would you mind introducing yourself and sharing a little bit about your background? Sure. I am the Community Relations Manager at Herrick District Library, which is in Holland, Michigan. That's sort of near Grand Rapids on the west side of the state. So I love living in a little liberal arts college town on the lake shore. We often are rated one of the top small towns to visit. There's heated sidewalks in the winter so I can walk downtown and get my stuff. It's great just from right from the library. Um, I have been here about 10 years, and in that time, I have grown the department from just me to then having interns to then having 
a permanent employee to now having two employees. So I have Congratulations. An, I uh, I am very, very blessed to have a graphic designer on board and then also to have um, sort of like a an aide who does a lot of press releases who worked um, as a reporter for a decade before she came to us. So it's been a gift. Well, um, I don't know if I speak for everyone, but I'm just going to go ahead and say this. I am incredibly jealous. I think that's probably true for a lot of people. I used to be the one saying that I was jealous when I started, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think I think a lot of us are um, sing- solo, uh, accidental library marketers. I don't know if you are accidental at all or if this was intentional from the get-go. No, Absolutely. Um, accidental. I actually was doing um, some work at uh, the college in town here. I went to graduate school for college leadership and administration and um, counseling. Actually, I have a couple of graduate degrees in those fields that I'm not using in this role in the same way. But of course, they're always helpful. In my past role, I ended up um, marketing all of the internships that the college had and learning uh, to teach myself Adobe and all of the things. And so now here I am in this role. We're happy to have you. And I'm so happy I ran into you at LMCC. So that's it's fantastic. And I always thought um, any experiences, you know, that have to deal with communications with people um, is always helpful and beneficial for informing your current practices. I, I coincidentally also went to school for counseling and I'm not using it. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> well, I imagine that we use it with colleagues and patrons all the time, right? But definitely not yes. in the job description in the same way. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I want to talk about um, kind of productivity and how to do marketing on a limited budget. Um, I know that's a, that's kind of in your pur- purview. So uh, to get started, um, I guess, what's the best way to catch attention or eyeballs? Like, how do we compete with all the overload that's going on from everybody else? You are very right. Scrappy marketing on a limited budget is totally my wheelhouse and definitely where I lived when I started and it was just me. I think the number one best way to get attention always is going to be word of mouth. Most of us are serving you know, a fairly limited sized community or we know our community fairly well. It's very hyper local. So in that sense, there is no better way to catch your, maybe not eyeballs, than having someone tell someone else what a great experience they had. Um, after that, um, a little bit more within your immediate control would be email marketing, I think is definitely the top. So what are you guys using at Herrick District Library for email? Currently, we use PatronPoint, but there are so many great resources out there. I have used Orange Boys Savannah, which is also a really great tool. 
The biggest strength in email marketing, in my estimation, is the ability to send targeted messages to a targeted audience. If you can get people the information they want that they are interested in, you are so much more likely to have them be engaged versus just the people that maybe open and skim the email and close it because they love the library, but they don't really know why they love it. They just like their books or they like that they took their kids there when they were younger. Um, if you can give them, the, serve them up the content that they're interested in, they're going to have very specific connection and much better usage of your library. So um, some of the tools that are out there will help you automatically do that segmentation because they might sync with your ILS and um, help you group people into segments. I, Orange Boy Savannah has a strength in that area, um, but you can also do that yourself. We are currently doing that manually, um, but we have a form of course on our website that people can select what they're interested in and it automatically feeds into um, our system that we're using with Patron Point. And the same is true in an email if they wanna change their um, subscriptions and the types of communications they hear from us, that's all automated also. So we do a little bit of manual work when people are registering for a new card and they select the types of messages they want to receive. That is still manual on our end, but um, I would definitely say if you have a limited budget, paying for an email marketing service is the way to go. Mm -hmm. You can still get a long way with things like MailChimp um, or even Mad. Mimi, there's so many. I can't even start naming them because we'll probably be here the whole morning. But <laughs> having a resource like that is very important. It does save you time if you can afford one that's tied to your ILS. Well, so um, how did you determine what your segments are for your email marketing at Herrick District Library? Part of it is tied to the types of programming that we offer. And part of it is tied to... Um, different parts of the collection that have things that we can feature. So we try to make sure that our email messages have a little bit of a mix of things, not just a list of events that people can come to. But of course, we're going to have some of that. <laughs> that is most important, honestly, from a staff perspective, enlisting in those emails, right? So we'll have maybe a feature story of something cool that happened in the library. And then we will have maybe a book list of recommendations or um, on the web page, we have a My Librarians page where each librarian talks about what they're reading that month. They each have different kinds of reading interests that are reflected and they have a blog every month. So we might tie that in. Um, we will tie in a, a few areas of the collection that might tie to this interest area. And then we will have like a smattering of events. We might highlight one or two events. And then at the very bottom, I'll have just the laundry list of things happening that they can click on the link and find out for themselves. So um, currently our interest areas are genealogy and local history, early literacy, teen. Um, what are the other areas? Oh, the digital library and mm. um, Groundworks, which is our um, makerspace adult creative digital lab space. Oh, yeah. We were very fortunate to get a grant from our community foundation to um, start that up a few years ago. Oh, congratulations. That's awesome. Thanks. 
Do you have an email specifically for older adults like 55 or 65 plus? I tend to automatically put them in the genealogy and local history camp, which isn't ideal. I would really like to um, segment out one for senior adults. And I also would like to have a new one soon for young adults or new adults, Mm. people in their 20s and maybe early 30s. But we haven't gotten to that one yet. I understand. (laughs) I still have to set up my um, new cardholder drip email campaign. (laughs) I get that. (laughs) It takes some Um, time. Yes. Yes, it does. Uh, So, you know, based on your experience, when it comes to emails, should we try to include everything in each email? And what do you recommend for frequency of sending? Less is more in terms of content within the email. Um, Research shows you can actually send quite often, more frequently than I would have expected. But um, in terms of topical content, less is more. Locally here um, in Grand Rapids, so just about a half an hour away, there is a um, digital marketing firm. And I know the president quite well. Um, I helped him a lot when he was starting out. And he has these great um, gatherings, these meetups that are called Drinks and Digital, if you want to go to the happy hour one, or Donuts and Digital, if you want to go to the breakfast one. And um, people who do digital marketing of all kinds just come together and discuss topics and share ideas. And that's been such a gift because I'm not paying for the services of this digital marketing firm. But of course, they're there giving their input, as well as all these other professionals in different fields. Um, And it's helpful to sometimes hear from industry professionals, too, because it's easy to um, benchmark and compare only to libraries. And, and sometimes you can learn a lot from the business or the nonprofit world too. So one of the things I've learned from their research that they've shared about their own practice and just best practice in the field as they're writing um, for publication is that less is more. If you can have, you know, five or less content areas in your message, that's really helpful. And Mm. actually they don't recommend a ton of images. Um, If you can have call to action buttons, you tend to get a little bit better response, but it's difficult to do that with a library, right? There's so much happening and there are so many resources. It's easy to say that if you're selling three different types of widgets, you know, (laughs) so it doesn't always work that way. (laughs) But honestly, I've seen this too. Very seldom do people unsubscribe from the library messages. Your open rate might go down. So you want to watch that in terms of frequency and see uh, if you send more often what that does uh, to your open rate and your unsubscribe. But chances are you will see less than 1% difference if you send twice a month or once a week versus monthly. No, uh, at the moment, I mean, because I'm only one person in my department, I just do monthly emails. Mm -hmm. But uh, for other libraries that maybe have the ability to invest time in sending more frequently, that's good news. Mm -hmm. So um, I guess this brings us to the next um, area of focus and has to do with Social media, everybody's favorite topic, <laughs> I think. Um, in 
what do you think is helpful? Is it helpful to invest our limited budgets into doing ads or boosting events and posts on Facebook or other social media platforms? Facebook. Okay, so Twitter is the Wild West right now of social media, right? Like I wouldn't even do anything on there, <laughs> right? And then Facebook is kind of next in line. They're always changing everything all the time. The algorithm is super hard to predict. And so it's almost exhausting trying to keep up with it, really. Um, is it helpful to post events? If you're going to pay to market and boost them, yes. If you are not going to... Eh, maybe not. I would say there's probably a couple of instances in which it's really helpful to do that. And the first would be if you have no other good way of reaching a certain demographic because you can target those ads, right? So the city of Holland where I live has grown its Hispanic population um, tremendously in the last 10 years. And now um, 35% of the city is um, Latino or Latinx. Mm but we don't necessarily have that many Spanish speakers on staff yet. And I don't yeah. want to overburden the four or five that we do with all of the things, right? Mm -hmm. So it's really nice that on Facebook, we can target to people who are in that um, population group so that when we do offer events or want to promote the Spanish um, collection or the different services that are available in foreign languages that we can do that through Facebook, right? Um, another way that Facebook events are helpful is really when you need points internally. You just need the capital with your staff because staff still generally believe that that's like the best thing is to have their event on Facebook. <laughs> and sometimes it just takes a few minutes and a, a couple dollars to make that a win, right? So that could be a good time to do them as well. But generally, I would say email is by far a better way to spend your pennies and your time. What about um, print marketing? Do you think it's a good idea to invest in doing print mailers of any kind? Um, there, there's also, in my mind, there's also this uh, question of whether people actually open and read them or if it gets thrown away with all the other mm -hmm. <laughs> fan mail that people receive if they receive any. So I don't know about you, but I've actually seen an uptick in that stuff in my mailbox lately. And it's because they're saying since the pandemic, that's actually working more than it used to, to do mailing. So that's interesting to know. Um, I am a firm believer in using resources creatively and strategically. And since I live by that principle, there are a couple of things that make mailings a little bit challenging. And the first is you really can't measure the response. You can't really tell how well it's doing unless you want to do some kind of a survey um, or maybe use some kind of a QR code on the mailing that they scan to get some incentivized thing. It's, it's very difficult to measure the success of a mailing, they're also very expensive to do. So I have done them, but I try to be incredibly strategic when I do. So to combat the cost thing, one thing that we were able to do is file for educational status with the United States Post Office. 
So Mm -hmm. our last millage levy, we knew we were going to want to do a mailing. And Mm -hmm. even the nonprofit rates on every door direct type things were still outside of our budget. But I was able to send some of the materials that are similar to what we would be sending if we were to get the educational rate. And we did receive that from the USPS. They they decided, yep, you're an educational organization. And that rate is so much lower than the government rate that allowed mm-hmm. us to do a really nice mailing. So that was helpful. And then when we did mailings, they were very well thought out. We wanted to target content for different audiences. So in our area, we... Um, we have some people that live on the north side of town where we were going to double the size of a branch. And we have some people that live on the south side where we were going to make some renovations to Hmm. our flagship location. So we targeted the content in those mailings to reflect those projects. We also have a group of people who use a different library because our service area wraps around a different service area for another library. So it's kind of like a C around this other bubble in the middle. And we have a contractual relationship with that township where we pay for our users to choose that location as their home library. And some people choose that when they live, you know, five miles from that one versus 15 from ours, for example. Mm So they might think, oh, well, I only use this library. I don't use Herrick District Library. Why would I vote for them in the millage levy? Well, they needed to know we actually pay for you to use that library, right? So they had a different (laughs) catered message. (laughs) Um, We featured photos of local influencers using the library. um, And I made sure that we related the statistics that we listed on that mailing to something that people could understand. Don't use something overused. Like I think I've gotten maybe 15 mailings this past year relating the giving opportunity to the cost of a latte. That one is a little bit overused, right? (laughs) (laughs) But when I was able to compare um, the number of materials checked out to, um, I don't remember what I compared it to now. So let's switch that. When I was able to compare the number of visits to the number of people who have attended West Michigan Whitecaps baseball games, in one season. That gave people something that they could really understand and give a context to the statistics for how well used our library really is. And that was helpful. Um, And I used some other benchmarks to showcase our success. Like we have as much circulation as XYZ library up the lakeshore that has, you know, twice the population in their town or whatever. That's always helpful. It is, yeah. (laughs) We also used um, a multi-purpose piece. So we wanted to use paper stock in a size that would stand out in the mailbox. It would not look like everything else. Um, It would serve dual purposes because we could get such a discount for quantity printing if we Mm -hmm. also use that same piece inside the building as our informational piece. And when we were going on the road out in the community to everybody that we were, you know, the Lions Club, the Rotary, excuse me, all the places that we were sharing um, information about this millage opportunity. And we wanted it to fit in a purse or a bag and hold up well without being scrunched. So it was a very thick, really nice stock. Um, And then we asked our um, friends of the library to um, sponsor the postage so we could say... 
paid for by the Friends of Herrick District Library and people didn't get upset about the library spending money on right <laughs> that they perceive. This is a very tight budgeting community, very fiscally responsible. Um, we we are well known for that, I guess I would say sometimes even nationally for being penny pinchers. Oh. Uh, so it's helpful to mention those kinds of things in our context. That might not be an issue, you know, for everyone. But I think so, being oh, strategic, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, I think being strategic about all of those things made that mailing a huge success. I would say too, you can also partner with others who are already sending mailings. So I talked to some libraries that include their um, schedule of events in with utility spills that come through uh, their municipal utility or through tax bills that are going out from the city or the township. It gives the people opening them something a little more positive to see besides <laughs> how much money they have to pay. Yes. <laughs> I also saw something from a, a city um, rec department when I was traveling recently that I thought was pretty interesting. They were doing a magazine type mailing of their quarterly stuff. Yeah. And they had an opt-in prepaid postcard in the middle that, that was large. It was maybe the Every Door Direct size. And it explained that they were only going to send this magazine mailing to you once a year and that you could opt in if you wanted them to send it to you quarterly. So that way they were asking people to select in for that expense they were paying the other three quarters of the year, which is an interesting concept. I've never seen that before on our side of the state, um, but I also don't, I don't think the library receives our Parks and Rec catalog, so I'm not sure. I'll I'll have to look into that. That's a good idea to look into. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I want to say um, I was in Phoenix traveling and I saw that at the VRBO that we were staying in. thought it was a neat concept. So where where else do you kind of um, get strategic about limiting your expenses and your duties managing the marketing department at Herrick District Library? One of the things that you and I have talked about um, back and forth in emails is managing the workflow that yes. you receive. People will give you requests in all kinds of formats, just stop you in the hallway when you're on your way somewhere and ask for something. And there's so many different little projects. How do you manage them and keep up? Uh, one of the ways that we have been very strategic about our budget is to subscribe to a project management software system. Um, I shouldn't say software, things that are in the cloud are maybe not officially software, but some kind of system like that. Um, you could use Basecamp or Slack. There's so many out there. Asana. We use Monday.com and really love it. And we each have the app on our phones and we keep our phones in our pocket. So when we're walking around and someone stops us and they say, hey, can you do this? We'll open it and already make a job and assign it to someone in our team while we're right there talking with them and then we can get the details that we need so that we don't have to chase them down later because sometimes that's the longest part of the project, right? Yes. <laughs> Is chasing down the information that you need. But that allows us to prioritize something. I can tell the graphic designer 
Um, this is the date that I would like it by, but it's low priority. So if you have other things that are due before then, those should get your time. And if this has to get pushed back, that's great. And that can add a note with all the information that needs to go in a press release for our marketing aid, for example. And she can just go to town. And if I'm in meetings all day, she can make a lot of progress and not get stuck because she's got what she needs. So I would highly recommend that. If you don't have a budget for something like that, and they're not terribly expensive, but say you're a really small library and you're a librarian who adds this hat to your role, you might not have that, that budget. You could probably find some free resources that are similar. I have some colleagues that use Trello boards um, for mm -hmm. a similar type of work. Uh, I also know some people who, if you have Office 365, will use their planner tool. Uh, if you have Gmail suite, you could use the Todoist tool. So they may not be as comprehensive as some of these other paid platforms, but it's something to really help you at least see what's all on your project plate and kind of move it around. I know some people prefer to do that still in paper, and, and I get it. It's kind of like people who like a paper book versus an ebook, right? <laughs> Yeah, There's exactly. something to turning the pages of that planner that you might really just need. There are a lot of content um, planners out there. And I have before purchased templates off of Etsy and then just customized them to my need and then reprint them every month and handwrite that out. I've also bought planners and uh, I, I have kids on robotics teams. And the interesting thing about robotics is well, there are many interesting things, but in this case, the interesting thing is that you can't have cell service in the tournament often because it can interfere with the robot's ability to communicate with the controls. Right. And yeah. these tournaments are a minimum of 12 hours that you're sitting in stands and you don't oh have access God. to your phone, right? So a content planner in paper has been like my friend. I will plan out at one of those robotics events, like the next two or three months worth of content. This email is going to go on this date and have these, you know, things featured. It's really helpful. I also think there's like maybe a perception uh, that paper is easier and not as overwhelming to invest time in starting up because there might be a huge investment of time just plant, like getting everything set up in an online um, project management system at first and then Obviously, you have to remember your your the, another login. <laughs> yes, and and then you just have to remember to use it. So, um, but but I think because it does the all the managing for you, and you can't lose all of your paper lists that you accrue throughout the day and the week and the the month. That it's beneficial to have it online. <laughs> Absolutely. So many pros and cons to both, right? So, sometimes you just need a hybrid like I do on robotics days. So um, you you mentioned uh, local influencers. So how, how do you find those? Well, sometimes just by 
following the people that I meet in the community on social media, mm-hmm. I can tell which ones are going to be, I mean, you can tell because they reach everyone and they know everyone. Those people who seem to know everyone are great fits. They may not be influencers in the traditional sense. Like they're not going to be selling skincare or something, <laughs> but they're <laughs> those people that if someone sees their face, a large majority of the, of the population will say, oh yeah. I know them. And then it, yeah. it just makes the concept that you're trying to communicate a little um, easier to relate to. It's not some stock photo that we purchased online somewhere. I think that's helpful. I've been finding that um, images where it's a real person and even a local person or staff seem to uh, get more engagement and reach more people than stock photos. Definitely. I am super fortunate in that we just started um, volunteering up again after the co- after the pandemic, and we received an application from someone who wants to help in our department, which doesn't happen very often. So she's had PR experience before, but now she's staying home with kids, and this will be her outlet to come in and, and do stuff professionally. So she'll head up a street team for us with posting posters and sending newsletter blurbs to all of the different little groups and places. But I'm also hoping that she might be able to start up some of the influencer marketing that you hear about at conferences and see people doing, but it just hasn't really been something I've had time to do yet. So yes, it's going to be fun to have. Yes, right. (laughs) Someone with more experience than me working for us for free to do this, that could be really cool. So we'll just have to see how it plays out. That's like a unicorn. I mean, I've never heard of anyone volunteering to help with marketing. (laughs) I know, it's fantastic. I did push for that to be on the volunteer application and um, it ended up working out in our favor. I can say too- Um, when I was starting out and we didn't have the budget and I was fighting for that a little bit at a time every year, I was able to get interns and it's easy because we're a college town. I mean, they can literally walk here. Not everybody has that same opportunity, but it could be project specific because they're only going to be with us for a semester. So if we were doing a survey, then I could have a market research intern who would tabulate all of that. Or one year I couldn't get anybody from the marketing department. So we turned it into like a social science type research internship and they could present the findings and tabulate the results. And I didn't have to do that work. Um, Another time we were doing, um, when we were doing our millage campaign, actually, I had a, a marketing intern, right? So there are different opportunities. If you don't yet have the budget to hire somebody permanently, sometimes you can hire somebody on a special case need, and it's going to be cheaper than if you contract out services to get a college student to help. So how did that ask go with the local college? Was it you reaching out or was it the director? And then how, so how did you, I guess, how did you pitch it? It was me reaching out. And in this case, I already knew a lot of the people because I had worked there before I came to the library, right? But if you were to, (laughs) yes. I have also started that up cold at some of the other colleges where we have gotten internships, um, interns through. And most of them have an online system now that they want you to use. But I would advise going in and asking for a meeting because they're going to hear from you firsthand what a great opportunity it is. And it's easier to have them 
recommend that specifically to the students they know are highly capable. When they know you, they know the opportunity. Makes it more personal. Definitely. Most students so, uh, are, oh, go ahead. go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Most students are really not able to differentiate one internship opportunity from another in terms of quality, other than maybe name recognition. Like General Motors would be more attractive to someone than some random um, place they've never heard of. Yeah. yeah. Right. So when the staff know about your opportunity, they can really help handpick students. That's helpful. I, I remember when I was in the counseling program and looking for internships and there was nothing about um, past experiences from other students. And I went into this one particular location and it turned out to be not what I was expecting at all. And if I had known, I would not mm -hmm. have chosen that location. <laughs> But uh, yes, that's not related to libraries. No, it's so true. I think all of us have had those bad internship experiences or we know someone who has. So um, other than using project management tools, do you have any more tips on how to manage workflow more? Um, yes, definitely. Everyone's really busy doing as much mm -hmm. as they can every day. I know I am and it almost seems impossible and I still haven't figured out how to structure my time each day. It's so challenging, right? I get it. So the project management tools are great. They help you collect information and schedule the work and prioritize things, right? That's, that's awesome. Um, one of the other things that's helpful is to manage expectations. The single most helpful session I went to where I met you at the library marketing Con communications conference was the very last session. Not everything can go on the home page. And <laughs> is that not the best name for a session ever? We all are nodding our heads when we oh. hear that phrase, right? But this library, um, well, it was actually several libraries, talked about having a rubric so that your staff would already know before they submit a request what level of marketing they were likely to receive. In this case, it was where they would likely be placed on the webpage as a result of these things that um, the library's marketing team had decided on, but they also had gotten buy-in from the rest of the library of, hey, are these things, would you agree these are the most important things and then these and this and that. And so that was really helpful because a lot of people were, understanding through that tool that their personal thing that they're so passionate about was probably not going to get the top marketing spot. And so they may or may not even submit a request if it's something that they could do on their own through Canva or depending on how you have that set up and what permissions you give different people in your system. So that's something that I'm really excited to try soon. Um, other ways to manage expectations. I've been um, on a programming committee once where people were concerned that it was hard for them to know before they submitted something what level of marketing they would receive. So we together decided on a tiered system of number one tier. This is like the all out everything. It's your summer reading. It's your big project initiatives. We used to have this huge summer party called Herrick Fest that would 
draw like 5,000 people that level. Yeah, it was a huge event. <laughs> um, it was really fun. Uh, so they would know number one, top tier marketing would get that similar treatment. And then second tier would get this. And then third tier, sort of those recurring repetitive things. Like we have bilingual Spanish tutoring for kids every Monday. We have book club every Tuesday. Those sorts of things were going to get the bottom tier level of marketing. And that really helped people just to sort of not feel so neglected by marketing right? Because their thing that's so special to them was never getting the attention that they deserved. They already went in knowing what level they would get. And if they wanted to get more attention on something, they needed to raise the level by meeting the criteria that we had set for the next level up, which was helpful. So managing expectations is good. There's a time and place where you just need more help. Yes. Yes. So should we talk about that and how you get buy-in for more assistance? Oh, man. Yes, please. <laughs> I'm sure other people um, like perked up after hearing that. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of us during the pandemic felt that, right? There's so much on marketing because when the building was closed, we were the only way to let people know what was still available to them digitally. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> While there are other colleagues that are just kind of sitting around at home and don't have much to do because they're usually at a service desk or, or whatnot. So um, I was not fortunate enough to get that this time, but lots of other libraries that I talked to were able to shift some of the work around. So someone who is a page who might check in books and shelve them ordinarily was redirected to work for six, 12 months with the marketing team instead and help with populating the website or help be populating emails. So when there are those ebbs and flows in our work, that is something to keep in mind. Um, ebbs and flows, what are those? <laughs> yeah, well, it's always busy, right? But like the rest of the library is super busy during summer reading when they're doing all the things. We're busy in the spring getting the word out about all the summer things and building all of that marketing. So some of those staff members that aren't yet busy because the volume of people isn't here yet that they're going to have in the summer could maybe be directed to help in the spring, right? So that's an option to consider. Um, the internship option is another one, like we've already talked about. Um, ethically, and I think legally, you really do need to pay them. Um, but like I said, it's all in how you present it. If you're talking about your workload and the options that you would have, and one of those options is contracting out services, like contracting it to a graphic designer versus graphic design intern or something like that, um, that might get you a win. Uh, you have to be really careful and get the right intern, especially for graphic design. Yes. Yes. You can't get not the right one. <laughs> so your selection process, your interview process, having them bring in a portfolio is super key in that context. But that, that's one way to do it. Um, but when you just get to the point where you need to request more permanent staffing, um, here are some tips that I would recommend. Um, the first one is show your results. Statistics are the best way to speak to boards, sometimes to speak to um, administration. So you're going to show how you've met your goals. You could show um, benchmarking against library, other libraries. FOIA requests are kind of your friend in that way. You have to be careful how you introduce them, right? 
Um, you don't want to surprise your library director by her finding out from another library director that you called them with a request for <laughs> what the yeah. salary range is, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but maybe it could be an initiative that um, your local library marketing roundtable group takes up. We're going to do a benchmarking study of everybody's departments and who has how many people and what level of budget and that sort of thing, because it's all public information. It's a lot easier yes. to do that for us than for like a business, right? Um, you can benchmark internally by doing some time studies and showing how much time you're spending on certain things and then talking about how that relates to other departments. So right now I am trying to get a little bit more clerical support. And in my mind, it doesn't need to be somebody permanently in our office. It could just be someone from another department that helps out five hours a week in our department or something. But I'm trying to add up how much time I'm spending at my pay level populating event cards or features for the website, for example. Mm. And a similar task that's happening upstairs with people getting a new library card, we have 10 aides who do that work. All the hours that the library is open, we have me at my pay rate doing it for this many hours a week. And so showing the benefit of maybe shifting someone five hours a week to work with us, that gives that staff member some growth opportunity because many of our organizations are fairly flat. There's only so much hierarchy and there's only so many places that people can grow. And we yes. <laughs> don't pay well enough to be super competitive with other yeah. industries. <laughs> so it's those non-financial rewards that people are looking for. Um, often you can find that go-getter who wants to do something different and, and might be a good fit for helping with some of those things. And I would say introducing goals and following up by showing how you meet them is also great. When I first started, I would um, have a quarterly check-in with my supervisor and the director. We would talk about the goals that I had, how we exceeded them, by what percentage, that sort of thing. Uh, it really showed how much work we were put in passion we were putting into things. And, and now I don't think they could ever think about someone doing it just as a one person job. But at the time you have to shift that thinking a little bit at a time and sort of ratchet it up. If that makes sense. How did you, how did you set those goals? Was, was it you presenting those goals and your, um, the way you were going to evaluate whether you were successful or not to them, or did they set those goals for you? Or was it more of a like democracy where you work together to set the goals? Mostly me. I tried to get okay. a little bit ahead of those conversations, always tied to the strategic plan, always tied to where the library is going, always big picture, right? But I didn't want to get sucked into the, this is the idea of the month and now it's my goal kind of thing. Yeah right? Because someone else had influence over it. So I would try to get maybe if I knew that evaluations were coming up in a month, and we were going to be asked to share annual goals in two months, I would already go in to go see her about those goals the first month, so that I could kind of be one of the first ones and sort of set the expectation. And that was really helpful. I like that because it gives you a little more control over the outcome because you're presenting everything at a time and you're prepared rather than going in there and then being told, you know, what to do and just relying on that, which is not always, I mean, like, it's not necessarily a negative thing 
Um, sometimes that's all you can do, but I think having more control, which reminds me of like one of those smaller rural libraries that I worked at and the director was such a delight. Um, but she, for board meetings, she had everything prepared and then she had the outcomes for any decision that could made be made. And so all they had to do was vote on it um, instead of like brainstorming or mm -hmm. discussing it. So like it's handing the choices to them on a silver platter and doing all the work for them, which obviously takes more of an investment in time on, on her end or your end. Uh, but it's worth it because then yeah. you have you have a little more um sway in getting the outcome that you desire. Definitely. It's um putting that work on the front end instead of the back end. Because often when someone else is defining those expectations, I'm spending a ton of time even figuring out what they mean by that expectation, especially if it's not something that's large and mutually agreed upon like the strategic plan or library goals for the year or something like that. Um, and you have to know your director or your supervisor. Everybody's got their different ways of doing things. Like you just mentioned, the great director that you worked with before who um, was so organized and ahead of time, that's going to overwhelm certain people who are just in the moment brainstormers. They're not going to be able to handle you bringing in that many things at once, right? So you have to kind of weigh that out. But definitely if there are ways to get just slightly ahead of a conversation where you're totally bought in to everything that's institutional, but you can control some of the conversation, that's really helpful. I also think this kind of relates to knowing your colleagues too, because I think um, everyone has a different perspective on what marketing for the library actually is. And sometimes that can lead to um, confusion and misunderstandings and maybe underestimating or overestimating your abilities as the library marketer. Um, and then what actually is like physical, physically and feasible to accomplish for them. So um, I think like having that rubric helps set the, the standard and the expectations. And it, it would definitely go a long way to helping um, kind of absolve any like miscommunication or misunderstanding of what marketing can actually do. Yes, true. And it can be really easy to be perceived as sort of this dictator who is the one deciding what they will spend money on and what they won't. And, and that doesn't really help with morale, right? Yeah. So, I mean, there are times when I've had to wait for the nice grand auspicious moment when all the stars would align to make a change that I've wanted to make because, hey, it's a lower priority in what absolutely has to happen and be the morale level. If I were to just force the change, it's just not worth it. So for example, um, everybody is aware of the flyer fight that happens in a lot of places. And now yes. that Canva is available, which is my number one recommendation if you have a limited budget, because that tool has become so awesome that you really, I don't even know if you actually need the Adobe suite if you don't have an, an official graphic designer and it's free. But now- well, And you just need a good um, like free image um, or graphic 
like website that has copyright free yes. images and graphics that you can use for Canva because if you do the free um account you're you're kind of limited based on what they have even so it's still amazing what they do offer for free it is but libraries can apply for the free um Canva accounts for nonprofits and then you get yeah. access to that stuff. And in the past, you used to have 10 seats that they would offer you. Now they just made it that you can have up to 50. And I'm really what? hoping personally that not all of our staff figured that out right at, at once because oh, yeah. I kind of want well, to think through how we're going to manage that. Some people, well, of course, just think they have a better visual eye than they really do, right? <laughs> Do not tell them about this podcast then because you don't want them to learn. <laughs> I definitely won't. No, we are going to be thinking about how we want to make that work. But it's so fun for staff who are usually like doing these certain routine things to have this creative opportunity to do something fun and make a flyer, right? Well, but it does make it easier too. I mean, there's less intimidation there because they have templates. Yes. And I feel like looking at a blank uh, uh blank canvas no matter what you're doing is is overwhelming so <laughs> that is true and I like that in the organizational one if you get the library account you can now they had this and then they took it away and now it's back again and I'm super excited that it's back again they have this branding center so you can put your brand colors in there you can already have templates that you make that they can use that part I think is super helpful but staff hadn't been wanting to use them because they wanted to make their creative flyer, right? Because it's fun. So could I have just said, no, we're not going to do that? No. I mean, I could have, but it would have just been really harsh. So now we have a new manager who's come on board in our collections department, who's really into display and mm has experience with that. So it gave us this grand opportunity to start a displays and exhibits committee where the committee is now going to say, now we're not going to have cutesy different signs for every display. We're going to be templated. Like when you go to Barnes and Noble or you go to Starbucks, everything is green, but you can easily read it and find your things. And it doesn't have to come from me, but I had to wait 10 years of being here to get this moment where we can have it sort of be a ground up organic change. Right. So sometimes you have to figure out which things you're really ready to fight and which ones you're going to want to wait for collaboration on. Sarah, you are so incredibly patient. I am, you know, naturally a, an impulsive person and there would there would be no way I could wait 10 years. <laughs> well, I haven't done it for other, like I wasn't patient for other areas, just like the okay. book inside the building, right? Like <laughs> I don't let them make their own event flyers and all that stuff. But yeah, this just this one particular area, people were so passionate about it that it wasn't worth the uh, ill will that it would have cost me to <laughs> just tackle it head on. <laughs> because branding. <laughs> yes, right. For sure. <laughs> Well, we only have a few minutes left. I um I want to end by asking you if you have any favorite books on library marketing or marketing in general, or if if you don't do that, um, where do you go to find creative inspiration? Because I mean, I'm sure you have experienced 
creative burnout. I have experienced creative burnout. So favorite books on marketing or library marketing, or where do you find your creative inspiration? Okay, so I should have a list of books, right? Because I work in a library, but honestly... Um, we won't judge you. No, I'm at that super busy parenting season of life where my whole life is just chauffeuring other people. When this new manager I've referenced earlier came on board, she yeah. asked everybody what their hobbies were. And I said, my daughter will be 16 in six months and she can drive <laughs> herself to all of the things. And then I'll answer your question because <laughs> I'll have time for a hobby again. <laughs> it's a smart, it's a smart goal. But exactly. It's got a specific time frame. It's measurable. All the things. But um, no, seriously, I don't do as much reading as listening right now. So um, I listen to some podcasts and I listen to a lot on YouTube, but I haven't really found like any particular, I have a few that I follow. I wouldn't say that any of them are like earth shattering. Um, many things that you come across in marketing are like, there's nothing new under the sun, right? But it just gives you pause to think, oh yeah, I could totally do that. That's so easy yeah. to do. Um, and yeah, it's sometimes the most obvious things are sort of right in front of your face, but you just haven't thought about them yet. I, I come across a lot of that stuff on Spotify and YouTube. Yeah, like personalization. I mm -hmm. mean, it seems like such a simple thing, but it can be easy to not incorporate it into your email marketing, but it can make such a difference. <laughs> so true. <laughs> I mean, it could also harm you too if um, your platform doesn't do it very well because there was one where it was like Joe Smith or Jane Smith or you, Dear User or something like that. Oh, um, man. Yeah. Because maybe the name didn't show up very well in the account. I don't know. But anyway, that's that's a sidebar. <laughs> no, I get it. Yeah. Personalization has its strengths and weaknesses for sure. But it's so cool that we live in an era where technology can do those kinds of things for us. Oh, yeah, I I completely agree. I mean, I don't I'm pretty glad that I was born in this lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> All right. Well, I want to thank you so much for your time and sharing of your knowledge and expertise. It has been such a pleasure to host you. And um, I I look forward to um, maybe hosting you again in the in the future, maybe 2023. Oh, <laughs> Anytime. It was such a delight and joy. This is just a really fun podcast. And it was fun for me to listen to all your back episodes because I'd only caught one or two. And Oh, such a great idea. Kudos to you. I'm just excited to see where this goes from here. Thank you. Thank you. I just have to get my button gear and edit all the other recordings. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's the holidays. You have a few things it going is. on, I'm sure. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, happy holidays to you. And I hope uh, the rest of your week goes swimmingly, I guess. Thanks, swimmingly. Same to you. <laughs> have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you. I'll talk to you again soon. Sounds great. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening. I hope it was as helpful for you as it was for me. You can follow this podcast to keep track of new episodes and find it primarily on RSS and Spotify, but also on some other major podcast platforms too. Find me on Facebook at Library Marketing for Library Marketers. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider 
leaving a review, or sending me feedback at rawflyk at gmail.com. Until next time. Yeah. Yeah.